the book of Romans, um, and we're really excited to talk about the message this morning. So again, we see Paul lay out theology from Romans chapter 1 to 11, and then in chapter 12, there's this clean break, and he starts giving um, how we should live or Christian living type um, sermonettes, you know? And um, the first one's about God's will in our lives, what it looks like to offer our bodies, our minds to the Lord so that he can direct us towards his will. And right after that, he starts speaking about the church. And he says the church is the body of Christ and we're all to be members of it, right? We're all supposed to be pancreases and, and eyeballs and ears. And last week, it was amazing just to sit back and read a lot of the slips of paper that you wrote and how you want to be involved. We're excited to reach out to you and, and allow you to function in your gifts and passions for this church. I really hope that you would be a member of the church as, uh, as a part of the body. And we also see Jesus' value for church, uh, the way that God had spoken about church through, through the Bible, about uh, the church being his bride, the bride of Christ, about the church being a family, about church being his household, his temple. And I can't think of more important facets of my life than those things, right? Nina, Liam, my parents, he can't speak in more intimate human terms, a more intimate human analogy than the body. And I think we remember again the importance that God has um, in terms of his view of the church and the m- amount of scripture dedicated to doing church well. And that's really where we land um, in the next few verses. Paul taking this analogy of being the body of Christ, uh, being at the church, and fleshing that out in really practical ways. It almost feels like Proverbs, these short little phrases of hyper-practical ways that we get to create a healthy Christian community. And so that's my question today before we kind of look at Paul's and the biblical perspective of what a healthy Christian culture looks like. I want us to kind of think about that. Some of us are PKs or have gone to a few churches, or maybe some of you guys, this is the first church you've gone to and you're new to it, but you have some things that you're really hoping uh, this community would be for you or expectations of a church. So um, in the next two to five minutes, I would love for you to meet someone new, turn around and um, ask, what are some healthy things or maybe um, values that make, what are some values that make a healthy church culture? What are some things that make a healthy church culture? All right. So I'll give you guys a few minutes and then we'll come back and look at the passage together. I'm going to, we're going to go through again, Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, please uh, take them out so that you know where to find this text. I also lost my clicker. I lose things. I don't know if you know that about me. Um, All right. We have like three slides, so I guess we'll be okay. Um, In children's ministry, I made it through like a third of this passage, so we'll see how far we get. But, um, um, I think today I just want to speak from my heart as your pastor, um, and I, I <laughs> as opposed to all the other weekends, right? <laughs> all the other weekends, I don't speak from my heart, and I'm just kidding. No, but I, when I look at this passage, Paul is talking about shaping the church, what it looks like to have a healthy community, and I just kind of take this whole thing, and I just, I think about Renew, And I think about the things we do well and the things that we have 
have great strengths in. And then I also think about the places that we can improve in or the places that are challenging for us, maybe just being a young church or being a church with a lot of millennials, uh, some cultural values that I would say are against biblical values and things that some cultural values that lend itself to biblical values. But I guess for me, I'm just going to kind of point out things that I feel like we do well as a community and things that I feel like we can grow in. Is that okay? And when I say grow in, I mean we suck at it. But it's, not, you know, it's nicer. It's nicer to say grow. Potential strengths, right? Because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. All right, here we go. So um, it says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Clean to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, uh, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. All right. So the first uh, three, four words, it says love must be sincere. And we're going to dive into kind of specific words and phrases because it really feels like Paul's just kind of listing all these little um, proverbs for a church, extremely practical, almost feeling a little disconnected, right? Kind of shotgunning one after another. And so we're kind of going to sit with each one and, and look at our community the first one, the first phrase says, love must be sincere. And I would say this is a thesis for the rest of these Proverbs, if you will. The phrase is kind of falls under that. The, the first thing I want you to notice about this word love is that it means agape. I actually have it tattooed on my ring finger. And agape is this very special, and, and uh, the, I would say the apex of love, which means it's unconditional. To love Someone unconditionally means that no matter what they do, what they say, how, far, how much they hurt you, you have committed yourself to love them. Maybe like a parent with a child or, uh, or the way you're supposed to love your wife. There's this sense of commitment that says, I'm with you. And, and it's not something, I'm, I don't love you because of what you do. I don't love you because of what you've accomplished. I just love you. And none of those things will shake my love. And this is the first time that Paul uses agape in reference to each other. So he's used this love in, in the way he speaks of how God has loved us in Romans. He's used this word love in the ways in which he's called us to love the Lord. But this is the first time he drops it down to a horizontal lo- level. And I think it's because until we have established that God loves us unconditionally, until we really understand that, have received that, have experienced it, until we love God in an unconditional way, there's no way that we're able to love each other. So we love, as John says, because God first loved us. And so he works on that for the first 11 chapters. And then he calls us to love each other the way that God's loved us. And I think that is a high call. And a call that I sometimes forget, right? Like, I'm like, God, thank you for loving me this much. But I usually don't put myself on that 
on that same stratosphere of loving the people around me, right? It's like, God loves me this much and I'll love you like, eh, somewhere here. But to say, man, God, the way you love me, I want to mirror that to my community. That's, that's a high call. That's a call that, God, that Paul is saying, when you really understand the gospel, it's exemplified by how you use that for the community. And then he says, love must be sincere. And in the Greek, it's actually saying, you shouldn't be hypocritical with your love. Uh, don't be a hypocrite with how you love people. Uh, this word hypocrite comes from uh, these Greek actors, right, who would put on masks or who would be actors in a play pretending to be someone that they're not. And so he's saying, be authentic um, in your community. Allow people who, to know who you are. Allow people to journey with you. Allow people to see your weaknesses. And I think, Ashley, as you talked about uh, Renew, I feel like that's an aspect of Renew that resonates with us, right? That we are for imperfect people only, that we get to um, show our weaknesses, that we get to allow people to see our sin, and we want to walk with each other. I just love how um, just this Tuesday at Small Group, someone said, hey, like when I came to Small Group, I just wanted to not share what I was going through, but I ended up doing it. And people came and kind of drew closer to me and prayed with me. And I think for me, I've always wanted a church where when you're really going through something that, I don't know, this, is, this sounds so basic, right? But like to come to church and to share what you're really going through um, and, and be prayed for and, and have people walk with you. I feel like in general, we do this really well, um, that we are allowing each other to know, to know us, and we feel loved by each other. And I, I'm just so grateful for that. But then I feel like this whole living authentically and, and accepting each other and saying, hey, this is for imperfect people only, there's, there's things about living sincerely and being loved in that way that fights against some of these other phrases. Like there's, there's some conflict there sometimes because it says hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And I think that sometimes when, when we use this word love in our culture, it's almost a trump card, right? It's like, oh, I love you, therefore... You know, like, you can do no wrong. I'm unconditionally supportive. No matter what you do, I want to just walk with you in it. But actually here, love has a moral code. Love knows scripture. Love knows what is good for someone and what is evil for someone. And it longs, it hates evil in each other's life. And it's willing to call it out. It's willing to put our friendship and whether they like us or not on the line in order to say, no, that's actually not good for you, right? If Nathan was about to pick up a trinket, um, like a, I don't know, a jar of Sinai and drink it, as a friend, even if he's like, I really love Sinai, like <laughs> I feel passionate about Sinai, I think Sinai will, be, will fulfill my life. I'm like, no, Nathan, don't drink that. You're going to die, right? A good friend doesn't say, yeah, you know, if you really love it, uh, if you're passionate about Sinai, just go for it. Just put it down your throat. But I think that we live in a culture where that's what love has been dumbed down to. I, I just nod 
I agree, and I don't confront. I don't tell you that's actually evil. But when we look at Jesus' ministry, he was willing to love through truth, through hating what's evil. When I think about Liam, I think about all the things I hate for him, right? Like I hate disease. I hate it when his, his cheeks are cracked open, right? But now it's really healed, so you can like go ahead and kiss him. I, I hate everyone who would hate him, anyone who would kidnap him or do him harm, right? I just think about the scenario. Like sometimes uh, like I'm, I'm out with him. I'm like, oh man, if someone tried to take Liam, I would kill him. You know, like, I would literally take this pen and just stab him in the throat. Like, there's nothing I wouldn't do to protect my child and, um, and my wife, right? I, and I've always kind of wanted to do this. Like, before I was married, I was walking with this girl through this really shady area of USC. I was like, can you just stand in this dark corner so I could save you? Like, I know someone's going to try to kidnap you here. So I'll just hide in a bush, and I'll come up, and I'll punch him because that's the story I've always wanted. I don't know how we got there, but hating what's evil, right? Like, do we, when we look at our friends, is there a hate for evil in their life? Is there a desire for us to speak into them in a truthful way so that they can, and, I, and when I think about my closest friends, they've done that for me. Um, it's, when I think about the people who stood next to me at my wedding, they're the ones who are willing not just to, uh, hang out and you know share hobbies, but I can look at moments where they risked their friendship, they risked my smile and my liking them in order to call out evil. One of my best friends, when I was addicted to poker, he said, "Dude, you need to stop playing. Like this is ruining your life." And then he cut me really hard. He said, "If you keep playing poker, you won't. I won't let you pastor me anymore." I was like, "Ah, oh, that hurt me." But you know what? If he kept letting me play poker, I might have I been homeless, you know? I might have ran up so much credit card debt. So he hurt me in order to be a good friend. Are we willing to do that for each other? In verse 10, it says, Be devoted to one another in love. Um, honor one another above yourselves. You know, I think that it's not just about speaking truth but it's about being devoted to each other. It's pretty mean, I think, to say a truth to someone and then walk away. Truth and commitment have to go hand in hand. You know, I, I wonder if we're just kind of pointing out things that each other are weak in and we're not committed. We're not committed to help each other grow. We're not committed to say, hey, like, as I speak this weaknesses over you, I want to walk with you in it. And I'm going to be patient with you in it. And I take one step at a time with you. I'm not just expecting you to change overnight. I'm actually going to be with you on this journey. And I also think about what it means, as Paul talks about, to be devoted to one another in love as a community. You know, because I think, again, in our culture, it's, it's so easy to see church from like a fan perspective, Right? Like when things are hyped, we're like, yeah, let's go to Renew. But when things are harder, it's like, well, I'm going to jump ship because it's not, it's not fun anymore. 
I'm not enjoying myself. I'm, I'm like that with the Lakers, sadly. Like, I grew up throughout high school and college with Kobe, right? I just kind of worshipped him. He took us to the finals or, or the playoffs every year. And now, like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it sucks. You know, the Lakers suck. We don't know. I think we're third to last, right? I've never seen that before. Well, I've seen it the last many years, but I haven't seen it after, before Kobe. And now I'm, like, ready to put on a Golden State, like, jersey and hat. I know. I know, I know, but it's because I'm a fan. It's because I'm a fan of, of, what, of their accomplishments, of them doing well. And when it's hard, I just kind of want to walk away. And, but God says we're family. And family, being a family and being a fan is completely different. I've been through some hell with my parents. We've, we've wrestled financially where we didn't know if we would make rent. And we talked about just having an apartment, one bedroom apartment with the four of us and how I would sleep on the couch and how we would go to work and just kind of try to pay, make things work, you know? I've had, we've hurt each other. We've yelled at each other. We've been mean to each other, but we're family. Like, of course, we're going to go through the hard times. Of course, we're committed. Of course, we're not going to walk away. You know, when, when Liam poops his diaper, it's not like, oh, man, that's not funny anymore. You're, you're, not, you're not giggling? All right, I'm out, you know. I do that once in a while when Nina's home, but when she's not home, I totally change the diapers every time, right? Or when Liam's crying, I'm not like, now I'm less committed because we're family. And I wonder, do we see church as family? Is church a place where we're like, you know, it's not just something I hop in and out of, but I'm called here. And it's not like you have to be here forever. I'm not, we're not starting a cult, you know, if the next day you feel called to another church, by the Lord, go, right? Because that's how the, you're all God's sheep. But if you are called here, I would say be called here as a family member who says, it doesn't matter if we're going through a great season of plenty and wealth and hype, or if it's a tough season, you guys are family, I'm committed to you. And I, I, I want to give that to you first. You know, unless the Lord calls me out in a very explicit way, I, I plan to be here for 20, 30 years. I plan to ride all the hard seasons at Renew and, and without, without flinching. And I hope that some of you who said God has called me to be family here would feel the same way. It's very, it's very non-millennial, right? We're, we have a hard time committing to anything. We have a hard time committing to a Facebook event. All the cell phone companies have given up on contracts, right? Because they're like, break the contract with them because you have that value anyways and come over to us and we'll just give you cash, right? And like the only contracts we have left in society are like student loans, which you'll never get out of even if you die. And, um, and kind of marriage, but even that is shaky. So we have, we have such little value for commitment. And, but God says, I mean, the Bible says, devote yourself to one another. It also says, honor one another above yourselves. And I think honor is another thing that we've lost in our generation. And there's good and bad aspects to that. You know, like we don't build up heroes as much anymore. I, as a pastor, I feel relieved in some ways where I'm not like standing on a pedestal, having to be perfect and then when you guys find a flaw, you kick me out. Because that's a lot of church history, right? We had this elevated view of a pastor. When people call me Pastor Wilson, I'm like, no, just Wilson's fine. Because I, I resonate with some of that. 
But I also think that we need a sense of honoring one another. Um, and I feel like our strength of being authentic, our, our strength of, of walking with each other really closely as a community and knowing each other's flaws, knowing each other's journeys, knowing each other's weaknesses, that I let you know me and my family well, you know, like we joke about all kinds of my flaws. But I wonder if that takes away from honoring one another. I wonder if because we know each other so well, we can just be dismissive or we could speak really bluntly in truth, but there's no honor, right? We could just kind of point out, oh, they suck at this. This person's weak at that. This person's a jerk here. And not really say, how do I honor? The idea of honor is kind of lifting someone else above yourself. And oftentimes when we think about honor, it's like, does this person deserve to be honored? Like Andrew, right? And if Andrew was the object, and I think about honoring, oftentimes I'm like, well, honor, um, Andrew, I'm really glad you lead worship for, for Epic. So I want to honor you for leading worship. But maybe something else about you sucks. I can't think of anything. Um, but, you know, I don't like your hat, so I dishonor you. So, so when we think about honor, it's, it's dependent on the other person. Does that make sense? But here... God is speaking about honor as who we are, dependent on us. We, if we're a person of honor, we will honor others. And if we are a person of dishonor, we will dishonor the same exact person. Let me give you an example. With uh, Saul, he's a person of dishonor. He had this great commander named David, deathly loyal, risked his life day in and day out, going to battles for him, played worship for him. But he felt threatened. He hated the way people praised David and honored David, and so he wanted to kill him, even though he was his greatest ally. Saul was a person of dishonor. But David was actually a person of honor and learned to honor Saul in the midst of running away from Saul, in the midst of hiding in caves and having this ragtag team of people trying to survive. There was this moment where David asks a friend, he says, hey, Saul and his, friend, and his army are camped out here. Let's go, let's go uh, spy on them. And so he asks, he asks the army, who's willing to come with me, right? And it's basically like a death mission. So, Mitchell, bring your guns, you know? Like, um, and one person says, I'll go. And so, so him and his friend goes into the depths of the camp, you know, tiptoeing around soldiers, um, kind of hiding against all these scouts, and finally, they get up to Saul. And his friend's like, this is the moment. We can just kill him in his sleep. He says, I don't even have to hit him twice. I'll kill him with one, with one thrust of the sword. And I will do it. You know, if, if we get caught, you run, they'll take me. What does David say? Do not lay a hand on God's anointed. Because if you do, you'll, you'll be guilty. That in the, when Saul was was trying to take David's life, he still found a way to honor him. And I wonder the way we speak about each other and the way we are speaking about renew, do we do it lifting up each other and lifting up this community? Are we choosing to be a person of honor? Or when I walk away from a conversation of y- with you, do I think of the people we talked about in a greater way, in a way that has given them more value? 
Or when I walk away from a conversation with you, do I think less of them? I think that's a great way to think about it. And when I look at our community, I think that over the last three months, we've really struggled with this. We've struggled with honoring each other. We know each other so well. There's a sincerity in our community, but I think the honor is lacking. And I hope that you would choose to be a person of honor for each other, that you would choose to protect each other's character and value. And that when you, f- when you see something that you want someone to grow in, why are you telling the other person? Why, wh- wh- how does that help them? <laughs> right? Like, are you, if, if you see a weakness, why aren't you sitting down with the person you see that weakness in and speaking to them in love and committing to them to walk with them? I hope that this is something we can really think deeply upon as a community. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So zeal is kind of the sense of energy. Like don't, don't lack the energy to serve the Lord. And lack is, uh, comes from the word laziness, right? So don't be lazy in your energy, but be spirit, have spiritual fervor. And I, for me, I think I just want to thank our community I know we're going like, we're feeling like bipolar, but I would say like, man, we've done this really well. And I, I think about all the teams that serve we knew. We have 25 people every Sunday here to make this happen from children's ministry to our amazing host team that serves without being noticed oftentimes to our worship team that comes in at seven o'clock. And then with these 25 people, we rotate month to month, right? So we have about 50 people serving our church. That's like half the people here. And then we have all these other ministries. And I've been really impressed by the ways that we have committed to service. And I'm so thankful for you guys. And I hope that you would continue to find the energy to serve. Lastly, in verse 12, it says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And I think about the hopes that we have for Renew. We're two years and like two and a half years old, right? So we're a little younger than Zion. (laughs) Like that's how old we are. And um, we have a lot of hopes for this community. We want it to be more missional, right? We want to to worship more vibrantly. We want lots of things. We want another pastor for the young adult group, right? We want to be mentored. There's so many things that we want that we hope for. But what is our attitude as we hope for these things? Is it an attitude of joy? Or is it an attitude of complaining, of bitterness, of anger, of grumbling? Paul says, when you have hope for your church, do it with joy in your heart. And I'm honestly afraid to release power for those of you who don't have joy anymore, who feel weary or angry or bitter. I don't want to promote leaders who have that attitude. Joy is, again, on you, right? And I, I, I think, like, when we were 15 people I, and I wanted Renew to be 100-plus, God just said something really, you know, God said something wise to me. Okay, that's, that's, <laughs> that's redundant. Anyways, I remember hearing my mom say, you know, when you were a baby, I, I wish you could eat on your own. And when you were a toddler eating and walking on your own, I wish you would be at school, you know, so I'd have to look after you all the time. And then when you're at school, when you first started, started the school, I wish that you could do your homework by yourself because I would spend all my time doing homework with you. 
And then when you could do your homework by yourself, uh, when you were a teenager, I wish that you would be independent. But then when you became independent and adult, I wish that you were a baby again. And I wish that I just enjoyed you as a baby. And, and I really took that, that to heart with Liam, but I really took that to heart with our church as well. And I remember when our church was 15 people, there was, there was a joy to us being this infant church with all kinds of hopes and dreams, right? And when our church was 20 and, and 40, I was like, man, it's, gonna, it's, it's amazing just to know every person in this room and know their stories. And then when our church had this hype going on, as, uh, as Greg said it really well in that first year, and, and things were growing and fun, I, I loved that too. And, and I love the phase that we're in, actually. We're in the season of pruning. And there's some really good things that come out of that, like abiding in the vine again instead of being so fixated on the fruit. Um, I wonder if you find joy and renew as is or if your hopes have made you bitter and angry and impatient. In verse 12, it says, be patient in affliction, right? You know, we're a, po- we're a pain avoidance generation. <laughs> we're very impatient. And when we feel pain, when things aren't fun anymore, we just want to take off. Um, we, we don't want to stick through it. But I've been in, uh, in ministry. I know I'm young and I started really young, but I've been in ministry for almost 18 years now. That's a long time. I was like 17 when I started interning at my church. I've seen a lot of hard times um, in ministry. It just kind of comes in cycles. And now I'm totally like comfortable with a hard cycle in ministry. Um, you just have to walk through it and be patient, and something really beautiful comes out from the other side. I hope that you would be patient in affliction with us. And lastly, I pray that you would be faithful in prayer. That when you have hope for renew, when you feel the affliction and pain of renew, I wonder if the first thing you do is pray. I wonder if that's the first thing you do, is to go to the Lord and ask for his perspective and bring your burdens and requests to him. And, and say, God, this is your church. Will you shape it in this way that I long for? Would you pray for renew? Would you pray for renew in your hopes? And let that be the first and primary thing you do. Would you pray for renew when you see hard times coming? And would that be the first and primary thing you do? If we just do that, our church will be okay. If we're just faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You know, when I think about the needs of Renew, um, there's financial, but I also think of what it looks like for us who are rich in friendship to look around and say, hey, I don't think, I think this person's new, or I think this person feels alone, and how do I share my wealth of friendship with this other person? If you're rich in joy and doing well in energy, I wonder how you help someone who feels weary and, and, and uh, tired and say, hey, let me help lift that burden off of you. That if you're, if you're feeling emotionally full, that you could see someone who's sad and say, hey, I want to empathize and sit with you and pour into you. Are you someone who sees the needs in a community and wants to share your wealth with, with them? We're wealthy in a hundred different ways. It's not just money. You know, it's time, it's energy, it's gifts, 
It's talents. It's friendship. Find the ways that God's given you wealth and share with the people around you. All right, I'm halfway through my sermon and we've ran out of time. Um, I am going to go to two slides later, please. What aspects of our church culture do you want to pray and to renew? You know, as we examine this passage, I hope that we'll pray for our community to be shaped by some of these things that we feel convicted about, that we see as well, that are lacking, and we just would be faithful and pray. And also, how can we contribute to it? I honestly hope that some of you will look at this passage and be like, that, I'm so, I so love our church for these reasons. And I'm, I'm glad I get to serve here. I'm glad we have an authentic community and that there would be this great encouragement that you feel and that you have taken a part of. And then I hope that there's other parts of this passage that you're like, oh crap, I'm doing the absolute opposite of that. And I need to repent. I need to actually turn around and walk the other direction Because instead of being joyful, I've complained and grumbled. Instead of honoring, I've dishonored people. You know, I hope that you will examine not only this community, but examine your hearts. Because this community is made up of each of you. Each of you shape it. Each of your words define who we are and how other people see us and how other people see each other. Each of you give and serve this community in order for it to be what it is. So I hope that we would not only pray for our church's culture as if we're disconnected from it, you know, as if it's like, I wish they would change, but that we would pray for ourselves and say, man, if I want this, how am I contributing? And how can I uh, own some of the things we do well and some of the things that we, we need to work on? God, we just thank you. I just thank you for this church. I love it so much. I want to love it unconditionally. I want to commit to it. I I see its great potential. And I also see the places where we struggle. And that's okay. You love this church in spite of that. I love this church in spite of it. And I hope that all of us can say, man, we're a part of an imperfect church family. But I, wanna, I want to commit here. I want to hate evil here and cling to good here. I want to hope with joy here. God, I just pray that as we examine our hearts, as we examine this community, and come to you, you would answer our prayers and you would allow us to be the answer to some of those prayers this week. In Jesus' name. Um, would you guys go back into your small groups and uh, go ahead and pray for our community? And um, we'll hold off on worship. You guys could just instrumental for us. But I, want, I really do want us to pray. And um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and crack those open and Again, look at some of those verses that we talked about, Romans chapter 12. All right.